hey, I know you all had coffee and lots of sugar out there, uh, so we should be ready to, ready to rock. Um, if you don't know me, I'm Pastor Brent, and I'm on staff here at Solano. If you don't know me, please come say hi after the service. I'd love to meet you and get to know you. But uh, before we kind of get on rolling here through our series through the book of Mark, our poured into series, I just want to tell you a story to start us off. A little over 500 years ago, in the city of Florence, Italy, men were seen dragging a huge marble block through the streets. Now, this block had been cut from the famous quarries of Carrara in the north of Tuscany, and the vestry board of the Cathedral of Florence had ordered this huge piece of marble. It was to be uh, it was planned to be sculpted into a magnificent statue of an Old Testament figure to be placed high atop this cathedral. But there was a problem with this expensive block of marble. It had a number of imperfections and cracks. Uh, a sculptor and then another decided to get started working on this and quit because it was an unworkable piece of marble. Now, this, this block sat rejected for 25 years in the courtyard of this cathedral. And it was too valuable and this was too important of a project to just forget about. So the, the vestry board, again, wanted to commission a sculptor to, to sculpt something with this block. So they, 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 they looked around and they asked who would be interested in this. And a young 26-year-old man uh, saw something beautiful in that block. He, he thought this unacceptable piece of marble could be transformed into a masterpiece. And he won the contract to sculpt a statue from this flawed block. And for two years, he worked day and night, often without food or sleep, in secret. And at the end of this period of time, January 25th, 1504, he gathered the, the prominent artists of the city, the, the leaders of this cathedral and from this vestry board, and, and he wanted to, ha- to show them what had, he had done with this unacceptable piece of marble. And as the veil dropped to the floor, it was met with a, a chorus of praise from all of these folks, Botticelli and Da Vinci and the leaders of this cathedral, they saw this statue and it was a masterpiece. Maybe one of the greatest sculptures in history. You see, this sculptor was Michelangelo and the sculpture that he created was David. And it was redeemed from an unacceptable and rejected block of marble. Here's a picture of this statue. Wait, 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 can you go to the next one? Yeah, that's better. Uh, we visited there a couple years ago, and my wife took this picture. She wanted to just make sure it was censored. This is a family, you know, service, right? So we wanted to make sure it was appropriate. Uh, okay, friends, I think, in all seriousness, I think that we are like this cracked, unacceptable, and unworkable piece of marble. And in our passage this morning in Mark 2, I think Jesus forces us to confront whether we recognize that fact. So grab a Bible and turn with me to Mark chapter 2. If you don't have one, uh, raise your hand. We'll be happy to hand out a Bible to you. If you want to take this one home, you're welcome to keep it. Mark chapter 2. If you're getting that Bible from the back, it's on page 577. Now the one question that I want you to grapple with this morning is this. Jesus came to redeem sinners. Are you one of them? Okay, as we look at Mark chapter 2, 
We're going to look at verses 13 to 17. We're going to look at this in two different parts. To see that Jesus came to save sick, hurting, and broken, and evil people. So so let's read our passage, okay? Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 13. This is the word of God. He went out again beside the sea, talking about Jesus, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who had followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician. But those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Amen. Well, now remember, we're going to look at this in two parts. So I want to talk to you about the first section of our passage, which is verses 13 and 14. We see here that Jesus extends grace in a radical way. Now, remember, Jesus is living and teaching in Capernaum at the time. And you'll recall that, recall that Capernaum is on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. But there's something immensely important you have to know about the location of Capernaum. It, it, this city was situated along the major trade route from Egypt in the south to Damascus in the north. And I've got a map up here I want to show you. This is a map that shows the Mediterranean Sea on the left, uh, Israel there in the middle, and the Arabian Desert and Peninsula, and then the Persian Gulf with Babylon on the right. And this red arrow approximates where most of the trade was happening in this day because the Arabian Peninsula was a desert. If you're going to cross through the desert with loads of animals and carts and goods and people, it was much harder than going up and around through all the cities and the fertile valleys. So this was the arc of trade. The next map will give us a little close-up here of Israel. From Egypt in the south, the Mediterranean Sea there on the left, they would follow straight up through that flat part Uh, and and cross over the mountains, and that lake near the top is the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea on the bottom. Capernaum is that little dot on the north side. And so between the Roman province of Egypt in the south, which is an ancient superpower, and the, the Roman province of Syria in the north, home of another ancient superpower, was the land of Israel in between, along the major trade route between them. And Capernaum was on that road. So here's where Levi comes in. Our passage tells us that Jesus went out for a walk, okay, and a crowd of people followed him. He was teaching them, and he, and he walked along through Capernaum near the lake, and when Jesus passed by Levi, who was a tax collector, we learn about this man. If you, if you were a Jew, let me just say this, if, if you were a Jew living in the first century in Israel, in this town... Just mentioning the fact that Levi's a tax collector would have made you boil with hatred. You see, taxes were done in the Roman Empire by tax farming, is what they call it. A a district like this area of Galilee was assessed a a, a defined figure of taxes. It was a a set amount. And the, the, the process of collecting those taxes was auctioned off to the highest bidder. 
And the person who was then had that bid then could go out and collect all the taxes, had to give the money back to the Roman Empire at a certain time, but anything they collected beyond that set amount went straight into their own pockets. But there were, two, there were sort of two types of taxes that a guy like Levi would have been collecting. One is things like income tax. There were stated taxes. There were things that you couldn't really manipulate much. It was a percentage of your income, something of that sort. But then there were duty taxes, things that were levied, uh, taxes that were levied on roads and on harbors and on imports and exports, and even on something like the number of wheels on your cart as you went through town. Okay, the, the tax collectors could almost make up whatever they wanted. You could be stopped on the road by a tax collector. They could have you open your bundle of things, and they could point at certain things and say, you owe this many taxes on that and this many on that. And what are you going to do? You need to pay. And if you couldn't, they would, might offer you a loan, but then that just further entangled you with that tax collector. So it would make sense for Levi to station himself along the road in Capernaum. This was a, a, a major trade route, and he could collect taxes from the local residents in this town and all the people who passed through. So Levi was filthy rich. But, but here's what you also need to know about tax collectors. To, to the Jewish residents of Capernaum, they were evil. They were scum. They were, and especially a Jew like Levi you were considered a traitor to God's people. You, you had colluded with the Roman Empire. Tax collectors, you see, they couldn't serve as witnesses in court. They, they were excommunicated from the synagogues. They were, they were pushed out of their community. To put it bluntly, Levi was despised and viewed with contempt. He, he had betrayed his own people in order to satisfy his own greed. And you know what? I bet Levi knew he was evil and doing something wrong. I, I would bet that Levi maybe, maybe stayed awake at night feeling guilty and ashamed of the life that he had chosen. I think if you really asked him or pressed him, if you could understand his heart, I think he knew that. And during this time, Jesus is living and teaching in Capernaum. I'm sure that Levi heard about Jesus. Levi must have heard the stories of Jesus healing people and of his miracles and, and him teaching so powerfully. I'm sure that the people he interacted with as he's collecting taxes were telling him rumors and stories about this man, Jesus. Maybe Levi closed his tax booth down one day early and, and decided to go hear Jesus speak. Put yourself in Levi's shoes here. Here is a man who extorts people on a daily basis. Here's a man who has sold his soul to the Roman Empire so he could get rich. I'm certain when, when Levi heard Jesus' teaching and listened to the, the stories and the accounts of these miracles, he probably thought, I am unworthy, I am unacceptable. I've committed too many sins. I've ripped off too many people. I, 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 I thought too much about myself in my life. Jesus will want nothing to do with me. And here in this story comes Jesus walking down the road. 
hundreds of people in tow. Levi probably could see the crowd and knew this might be Jesus. His heart maybe started racing because he thought, I'll see Jesus up close. Maybe I can talk to him. But then I I imagine he, he remembers how much everybody hates him how despised he is by the rest of the residents of Capernaum. I, I, I would see Levi sinking down in his chair in his tax booth, hoping Jesus would just pass by and not talk to him, or the crowd would just go by without saying anything. And yet, Jesus stops, and he turns, and he looks Levi straight in the eye, and he says, follow me. Can you imagine the, the surprise, the, the disbelief, the, the shock for Levi? Can you imagine how confused he was at first? Are, me? Really? Are, are you sure? The, the text says in that next line, he rose and followed him. I, I think we, we often marvel at the, the sudden abandon of everything to follow Jesus. And, and, and rightly so, I, I think. Uh, it's true, Levi left his tax booth and walked away from his old life entirely. But, but I think we have to recognize that, that I think Levi's radical response comes out of a, a radical understanding of his own sinfulness. He, he, remember, he, he probably told himself, I am unacceptable. I am unworthy. This is absolutely true. <laughs> okay, Levi was actually correct in thinking that. And, and everyone in Capernaum would have agreed. He is unworthy of Jesus. That's the entire point, as a matter of fact. And yet Jesus, out of a, a, an act of pure grace, invited Levi to follow him. So, so Levi makes an immediate choice in this moment, to to walk away from his former life and follow Christ. Understanding, I think, at the the deepest level that he's at a a crossroads in his life right now. That I I don't think that he had changed his mind and thinking, wow, I must be acceptable to Jesus. I think instead he knew the evil in his own heart and recognized that Jesus was extending mercy Now, I can't overstate how radical it was that Jesus chose a tax collector to be one of the people he he purposefully poured into. I mean, when a a rabbi like Jesus invited you to follow him, he's asking you to become his apprentice or his disciple, to travel with him and learn from him. And usually people think, and I I think I think this way probably, that an apprentice needs to show some kind of potential or at least a high level of character or uh, be relatively competent in what you're asking them to do. There might have been many people in that crowd following Jesus who who desperately wanted Jesus to turn and look at them and, and invite them to be his apprentice. People who thought they were pretty good or had a lot of potential. But but here Jesus walks up to maybe the the most despised person in the entire town of Capernaum, Levi, a Jew who has betrayed his own people and God. And we learn from the other gospel writers that Levi has the name Matthew, and maybe Jesus gave him that name. The name Matthew means gift of God. 
Who knew? I mean, how radical and shocking is this that a tax collector, someone who is is cracked and flawed and, and evil and unacceptable, might be the very block of marble that Jesus chooses to redeem and transform into a pillar of the church. That is the radical grace of the gospel in real life, folks. Wow. Now, this is where uh, this story goes to another level. Um, Remember I said we're going to look at two parts here. Um, Remember, though, that Levi... so he was a tax collector. He, he then, in, in the second part of our passage here, in part 2, verses 15 to 17, Jesus goes to Levi's house to have dinner, to, to be at a party with him and Levi's friends. Now, this is a huge deal. In the ancient Near East, if, uh, if you were going to share a meal with someone, table fellowship with someone, it was a major step in, in saying that you are friends. It is a gesture of intimacy. It was a, it was a moment where, where Jesus said, these people have favor with me. It was huge that Jesus would join Levi at his home for dinner. Now, Levi, again, he's a tax collector. I'm sure he had lots of money. I'm sure he had a big house with enough room to throw a pretty awesome party. And, and he probably did business with all kinds, of other, uh, all kinds of other crooked people and made friends and alliances with all the power brokers of Capernaum. So he probably brought together quite the group of people. I imagine the party that, uh, like, a Jay Gatsby would throw, right? Uh, you can imagine the, this massive house. You've got the best champagne, top-notch catering. You've got celebrities and politicians all over the place, all kinds of powerful people in this beautiful mansion. Why does Levi want to throw a party like that? It's, uh, it's simple and yet profound. Uh, he wants to honor Jesus. He wants to to celebrate that his life had been changed. You see, friends, Levi actually believed that the gospel was good news. He he was so struck by the depth of his own sin and the evil in his heart and and the radical nature of grace and the invitation of Jesus to become a disciple, he plain wanted to throw a party. He couldn't contain himself. He he thought this was such good news, I have to tell my friends. Friends, how do you respond to the work of the gospel in your life? Is it really good news to you? Enough so that you can't contain your joy and you want to celebrate, that you want to tell others about it? There's something so profound about Levi's response there and what he does that we can learn from. This is where we get the term Matthew party. Has anybody ever heard of Matthew, a Matthew party? Good, we're going to learn about it. <laughs> so Levi, also known as Matthew, he did something very simple. He brought together followers of Jesus and Jesus' disciples and people who were not followers of Jesus. He simply put them in the same room. He, he expected that the non-believers would see and experience the same thing he did. There wasn't a big program or a, a plan or an agenda. And I can tell you this was not the first house party Matthew th- or Levi threw, right? He just did exactly what he would normally do. Throw a party for his friends when something important or exciting was happening. See, this is a lesson for us. If, if you want to pour into others, hang out with people where you would normally hang out. Be present. Bring along your friends from your home group 
to spend some time with your coworkers. Or the other way around, bring along a coworker when you're spending time with your home group. Be yourself, okay? This is what Levi did. So here, here is Jesus and his disciples at the same table with all the worst people in Capernaum. Okay, Jesus is making a bold public statement. He's saying, I am a friend of these people. They have favor with me. Now, for a, a, a prominent rabbi, we know this would be scandalous. And that's exactly what the Pharisees think. You see, the Pharisees were, if you don't know who they were, they were a devout group of men who strictly obeyed the Old Testament law. They could not imagine that Jesus would eat a meal with those who showed contempt for the rules and regulations of God's people. People who didn't wash properly before they ate. Whatever the rules were, these people were unacceptable and unworthy. These people were too far gone to even speak to. See, these people were sinners. This is a a technical term that the Pharisees used for people who were inferior. People who, who didn't follow the Jewish laws, who had turned away from God and were known for their immorality and, and sin. See, these people were materialistic and lawless and selfish and immoral people. And the Pharisees think, how could he eat with them? How could he even talk to them? Notice that the Pharisees don't even confront Jesus directly when they've got a problem. I think that's extremely revealing about their, something dark and fearful in their hearts. They, they, they complain to the disciples. And they use the, the, these, these pejorative terms or categories for the guests at Levi's house. Tax collectors and sinners. Don't miss this. The Pharisees didn't see them as people. They viewed them as a label or a category to be judged and dismissed. They, they, they have lumped together all of those people who don't follow God and his laws into, into people lumped together as the viable and untouchable people. But Jesus saw it differently. He uh, apparently overheard the Pharisees or knew what they were thinking and responded directly to them when they were trying to complain to the disciples. This is great. He says, those who are well have no need of a, of a physician, but those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. I want you to see something really important about what he said. Jesus doesn't disagree with the Pharisees that these people at Levi's house are sinners. He actually affirms the fact that they are sick and that they are sinful. He says, you're right, these people are sick. Where else would a doctor be? Friends, God designed us with purpose. He he created us to live in a way that glorifies him. And, And God is the only one who gets to define what it means to bring him glory. Jesus here affirms that there's standards for right and wrong and for morality. He affirms that these people are infected with sin and in violation of the design that they have as human beings to honor God and to live in a way that honors him. You see, folks, it matters whether we follow God's way. It it matters whether we sit under God's authority and, and understand and live by his purposes for his creation. 
as outlined in his word. So Jesus didn't respond to the Pharisees, these people aren't that bad. You Pharisees think you have a monopoly on morality. These people have to be loved and accepted just as they are, no expectations and no questions asked. Friends, Jesus did not try and rationalize the fact he was hanging out with sinners. He, He did not compromise the standards of holiness and the definition of right and wrong. Instead, he, he boldly acknowledged their sin and their need for a doctor right to their faces. You see, I think Jesus, I know Jesus understands that the heart of the gospel is about repentance. It's about transformation. It's, it's about healing. And, and Levi realized this when he was sitting at his tax booth. And when Jesus approached him, he knew he was sick. He knew he needed a doctor for his soul. The the whole room there at Levi's house is full of people who want to understand and follow Jesus, who want to, to, to learn what he has to say, who know that they are unworthy. But the Pharisees thought that they were already worthy of Jesus. Shockingly, okay, Jesus says to them, I came not to call the righteous. In other words, to people who think they're already righteous, I have nothing to say. Jesus didn't waste much time on people who didn't think that they needed him. I think we often do the opposite. Uh, we, can, we can fixate on trying to, f- to, to reach people who repeatedly tell us they're not interested in Jesus. And it can be so discouraging. Now, hear me, hear, me, hear me out here. I still absolutely believe we need to love and pursue people who continually reject Christ. But, but don't let this, a relationship like that, control you or your emotions. Because often what we have to do is have patience and wait. We often have to wait for someone to recognize and understand their need or that there's something wrong in their life. And in the meantime, it's okay to focus on people who are willing and interested to learn about Jesus. You see, Jesus didn't have anything to say to the Pharisees in that moment. He was so focused on the people in need right in front of him. People like Levi who knew and recognized that they were sick. This is where we we get back to that question I posed at the beginning. Jesus came to redeem sinners. Are you one of them? I think this passage really, really, really makes us confront two issues when we try and ask that question. These two issues are really at the heart of why Mark tells us this story in the Gospels. Why put this story here of Jesus' interaction with Levi? And I think the first thing that we can understand about this is that we have to, we have to ask ourselves whether we identify with the Pharisees or Levi. In this story, think about this for a moment. The the Pharisees believed that good people like them should stay separate from sinners so that they could sort of lead by example and and hopefully show the, the folly of the life of a sinner by contrast. But ultimately, This turns into a a self-righteousness and a a superiority thing where the Pharisees couldn't imagine somebody, a a prominent rabbi like Jesus, that that would put his reputation on the line. 
We see them recoiling in disgust at the thought of sharing a table with these people. But let's, let's dig a, a bit deeper here in the condition of their hearts. I think the Pharisees were operating on the assumption that God is looking for good people. Or at least people who are good enough to, to, to form the people of God. They, they thought, since we have the Old Testament law, God will be pleased with those who obey the law and are faithful to him. They're not actually that far off from the mark, okay? God is actually pleased with obedience, But here's the twist. This created a a mentality of comparison and a judgmental spirit within the Pharisees. It became easy for them to label others as tax collectors and sinners to make themselves feel acceptable to God. It it became easy for them to start keeping track of how good they were, of standing on the the foundation of their own accomplishments and and that public persona they're keeping up. The irony, okay, I'll be honest, the irony here is that I'm in danger of labeling the Pharisees as a category in my own sermon. Do you see that? But here's the thing. I act like a Pharisee all the time, and so do you most likely. How often do we get up in the morning and gear up for the day based on how good we feel about ourselves and our own accomplishments? I mean, I know I I gain confidence, admittedly, to to face the day because I tell myself I'm competent, I'm in control, I'm a good person. God should be impressed with me today. Or or maybe you feel the exact opposite. Maybe maybe, uh, being a Pharisee makes you depressed and discouraged. Maybe you're burdened with comparing yourself to others or, or feeling inadequate. Maybe the the, the world of of comparison we've constructed causes you to feel even worse every day because you realize you don't measure up. This is what it's like to be a Pharisee. Your, Your spiritual and emotional confidence comes from within you. You have to pick yourself up every day, rationalize your worthiness each day. But friends, Jesus invites us to be more like Levi. He came to realize his sickness and was already in a place where he knew he needed a Savior before Jesus even called his name. I think his his radical transformation and his leaving of his old life came out of a, a radically deep understanding of the sickness he had, of his sin. I pray that we would be people who recognize our sickness and try and find the great physician. That we would actually understand that the gospel is good news. So much so that we can't help but celebrate and tell other people about it. Lord, let that be so. Here's where we uh, get to the second issue, I think, at the heart of this passage. Like Jesus... We learn that we can go out to the places where people are sick and hurting. But don't miss this, friends. There's a major difference for us today. We're not Jesus, if you didn't already know that. (laughs) Here's the thing. Instead of us trying to be healers, we get to point people to the one true healer. 
I think this is an incredibly profound, that it helps us deal with a, a number of barriers for pursuing others and, and pouring into others. I think it helps us deal with fear. Like you, probably like you, I, I fear that somehow I have to say just the right thing to somebody at just the right time when I want to pour into them. I, I fear that I might be rejected or lose a friend because of the things that I want to discuss or talk about with my neighbor. I, I had an experience like this when I met up with a friend who, who works in San Francisco. We, we grew up at the same church in the South Bay down in San Jose, and he's since walked away from God entirely. And I invited him to go to breakfast um, a little while ago. And to be honest, I was uh, totally terrified. It was awkward at first because I felt some burden or pressure to talk to him about faith, to ask him why he walked away from God and maybe convince him otherwise. I felt this awkwardness, and to make it worse, he totally felt the same thing too. But he called me out on it. Okay? I was trying to have a conversation with him, and I was saying, it's really nice to hang out with you and to just see you again. It's been a while. I don't, you know, I don't want to put this pressure on you to believe what I believe. And he looked me straight in the eye, and he said, I don't buy it. He said, I, I think you're spending time with me because you want to convert me. He was right. I, I don't think I would have asked him to breakfast that day. We hadn't seen each other in years if I did not want to make him change. So I admitted it. I, said, I just responded back to him, you're right. I, I want you to follow Jesus again. Just like I want our waitress to follow Jesus and everybody else in the whole restaurant. We sort of finished our meal and left and I thought that would be the end of it. He's never going to want to hang out with me again. That was pretty clear. Maybe I ruined our friendship. Um, a few weeks later, he emailed me and he said, can we get lunch? I was a little surprised. We got together. Um, another sort of awkward conversation or two later over lunch, it took two or three times, we finally started to talk about things of faith. It's been a while. He has not changed his mind about Jesus. But that interaction and, and, and others that I've had as well, and you probably too, we realize that, that there's something that can, about fear that can deeply affect a relationship we have with somebody that we want to pour into or somebody that wants to pour into us. And I think we often feel fear because we believe we have to be the healer of somebody. There, there's a pressure on the relationship or a, a, a guilty feeling. We feel that we end up with a, a savior complex. Right? Friends, you don't have to be afraid. You know why? It's because Jesus is the healer. He is the one who transforms. And you get to step aside and simply point people to him. Now, there is still a reality that you might say the wrong thing, that you'll be rejected, that you might lose a friend. But Levi took that chance. He, he was like the, the parable Jesus told in Matthew 13 where he says, A man found a treasure hidden in a field. He hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and sold everything he had and bought that field. In his joy, not in fear. Listen, I can't dispel your fears about pouring into others. But what a passage like ours teaches us is that Jesus 
is worth the risk. In fact, it is a joy that we get to risk everything for him. And Levi thought that the gospel was such good news that he laid down his career, he risked his friendships, he he made the Pharisees feel really uncomfortable. And, and, And honestly, if you look closely at this story, it's the Pharisees who were acting out of fear. The Pharisees were the ones who were afraid. They, they feared what people thought. They, they feared that their reputations were on the line. They feared that they would be associating with these sinners and they might be tempted to sin also. They feared what God might think of them. This is the difference between Levi and the Pharisees. These, these, these Pharisees spent a lifetime building a case that they were good people living daily with this self-righteous attitude. They thought that they needed to keep up appearances so that God's name would not be tarnished and that they would be worthy of God's presence. And yet, Levi had reached the end of himself. He knew his lifetime achievements were an affront to God. He lived daily with guilt and shame because of what he had done. He thought he needed to hide from Jesus in the confrontation with him because he knew he had tarnished God's name as a Jew who had sold out to the Romans. Then he was unworthy of God's presence. See, this is the heart of repentance that it's at the center of the gospel. When we get to the end of ourselves, when we surrender, when we admit that we're unacceptable and recognize the depth of our sin, then and only then are we ready to see the doctor. Because, folks, the, the truth of the gospel is that because your sins have been paid for and because you are clothed with the righteousness of Christ, washed clean, you are now acceptable to God. You're loved. You're you're part of his family. By his grace alone, you have been healed. This is the the foundation of what motivates us to share the good news. That we're actually blown away by the transformation in our own lives. Knowing intimately that that sinful place from which we have have come. It's the place where we recognize the the power of the gospel lies solely in Jesus' work on the cross, his resurrection, and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. You have to first surrender. You, You must answer yes to the question, Jesus came to redeem sinners. Are you one of them? Let's pray. Lord, we, wow, we get to this point. We want to recognize uh, the depth of what separates us from you. Like Levi, we recognize that we are unacceptable and unworthy, God. That you, in, in light of your holiness and, and your eternal perfection and the way that you created us to be, God, we have fallen short. And, and, and we need to get to a point of repenting and saying, God, we surrender. And we ask that we would approach you with that radical understanding of the depth of who we are. And, and being able to radically respond to the gospel and say, yes, I will get up and follow Jesus.
Lord Jesus, you are worth it. And in our joy, Lord, I pray for joy for us, that in our joy we would give it all up for you. We love you, God, and we pray that you would work on that in our hearts. Let us repent and recognize how much we need you. In Jesus' name, amen.